0: Let's pray together. Father, thank you for orchestrating this service today the way you have and the great songs that uh, Dave picked out for worship and, Father, this wonderful song uh, that Tyler and uh, Jenny just shared with us. Thank you so much. And, um, Father, even though your orchestrations sometimes make me feel very uncomfortable, I want to thank you that you're faithful and true. And we will always praise you in this storm. You are our strength and you are our peace. So we pray through uh, the message today that you'll be made big big, and you will be glorified in all things. Father, I pray and believe that by your sovereignty you've appointed people to listen on the radio today and you've appointed people to be here in this sanctuary. And Holy Spirit, we, are, we acknowledge the fact that you're everywhere. We, we understand that. But we are asking that you will now take and charge the atmosphere of this building and uh, speak to the hearts of these, your people and for the ones are yet to be your people. So we ask this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, of all the, the stories, movies, that speech is one of the favorite things of so many of us. Um, as, of course, was William Wallace, and he was charging up the army to go face incredible odds against the English of which they uh, ultimately won. It's just incredible. And, you know, God wants that for us. God wants us to have a brave heart. And yet sometimes that's difficult. You know, I I want to tell you a story about today. I don't tell you as an excuse and I don't tell you as sympathy. But uh, like Tyler said, I don't usually talk before I talk. But uh, this has just been a strange morning and evening last night. The way I do my sermon preparation, I get the scriptures down. I let it pot stew and do research during the week. And then Saturday and Sunday, my, my study times. And as I begin to study last night, I'm just going, what? What? But usually I go to bed and wake up and, and you know, and me and God kind of figure out what I'm going to say. And, and we're okay with that. Well, this morning I woke up and was still going, what? (laughs) Huh? What? So about 7 o'clock this morning, I commenced to rewrite the entire message. And I got done. And I went, huh? What? (laughs) And so I'm sitting there going, God, what in the world do you want me to say today? I just can't get it to come together in my brain. And then after the worship service and Tyler's song and watching that video one more time, uh, he'll get done exactly what he wants to do. But I tell you that, again, not as an excuse, because I'm sure God will work it out, and not not seeking any sympathy, but let you know something, that um, I sometimes have the same fears you do. One of my recurring dreams that I have, nightmares. <laughs> if you asked you about this, I wake up and I dream, and I remember that I, I dream that I was supposed to be preaching, I couldn't find my Bible, I couldn't find the text, I wasn't dressed, didn't have my shoes on, uh, all kind of strange things, 20 people show up instead of 300 and you wonder where they all are, you know, all kind of strange things and, and that really, you know, still, you always want to have a certain nervousness about preaching, um, but not a fear and that's what, that's what I was battling today, God, I don't know what you want me to say, but how appropriate it is. That God, in his sense of humor and his sovereignty, puts that in my life today because we're down to that last guy in the Oz movie. You know, we got Dorothy home through the story of the prodigal son. We, we got the straw man and talked about renewing the mind of Christ and how that, that God has given us this incredible mind. It's the mind of Christ. We talked about our, our heart, renewing our heart, how incredible that was. And then we come down to this. We've got the lion. And the lion looked like a lion. Well, in Oz. (laughs) Didn't really look like a lion, but but he kind of looked like a lion. And he didn't have the courage of a lion. Every time, every time he looked in the mirror, he saw a lion. He just didn't believe he was a lion. And you see. It doesn't matter what you see in the mirror, it matters what you believe. Amen. It doesn't matter what you, what you see in the mirror, it matters what you believe. And unfortunately, Satan is so good, and boys, he's been messing with my brain today. He is so good at taking us, and, and we read the scriptures, which is a wonderful mirror, and it tells us who we are in Christ, and then all of a sudden we look in the mirror, and then we start saying, well, what do I believe about that? and we find ourselves not believing who we are. We've heard that a lot in this series, and I think it's resonated with us. Fear is a big deal. Fear is a big deal, and we often think about fear of, what if we get sick, you know, with Tom? What a crazy deal is that, you know? You know, possibility of, you know, they've been diagnosed with kidney cancer. You know, think about Matt and Bethany, where they are, and I think about Judy and Rita and Mark and Meredith, these folks that we know that serve around the world and the difficulty they face. Fear is a real big deal. But it is for us too where we are. We, we, um, we send our kids off to school these days and wondering if we'll pick them up in the afternoon. We take them off on a trip and we pray for travel and mercies because the way things are today, it seems there's an awful lot of fatalities on the road. Fear is a big deal. Um, Franklin Roosevelt. I know this is ancient history, and I regret that it's ancient history because we we need to remember what it is. But the country had been, was in a great depression, and, and students. I know this doesn't mean anything to you guys. But I mean, if you just watch some of the old the, uh, movies about men like Jim Braddock, who was a boxer, and how he fell from boxing grace, and how he was literally starving and he couldn't feed his family. That was life in the Great Depression. I remember talking to one of the folks. We were sitting there for a surgery and talking, and he was talking about how the kids brought mustard sandwiches to school and was grateful that they had mustard sandwiches. Well, what was with the mustard, Dwayne? Nothing. It's just what they had. And they were grateful for it. It was such a very difficult time, this thing called the Great Depression. And Franklin Roosevelt was elected president back in 1932 and took office in 1933. And he said something that you've probably heard, even if you're not a history buff, you've heard these words before because they're so popular. He said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Does that ring a bell with anybody? The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And he went on and said, Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes that needed to convert retreat into advance. i want to read that again because it's so good. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes that need to convert retreat into advance. And you trust me, Satan knows this about us. That if he can get us fearful, he can get us paralyzed. If he can get us fearful, he can get us paralyzed. And that's where so many Christians are today. We're so fearful of what's going on in the world and life that we're paralyzed. Today... Thankfully, we're not in anything near like the Great Depression. We certainly are having economic woes here in southern Illinois with the coal mines and those different things. But we are in a great spiritual depression. Now, I don't mean depression in the sense of I'm depressed. I'm talking about depression in the sense of a starvation mode in America. Uh, Spiritually, America is starving to death. She's perishing spiritually. Spiritually. And so you've got to ask a question, how do we live in days like that? William Wallace, um, part of that is myth and part of it is legend and part of it is truth of who he was. But he saw the world as it was and determined that it should not stay that way. And he decided to fight against tyranny and oppression and ultimately gave his life for that. I pray to God that we would be those kind of people. That in this crazy world we're living in, where we are literally seeing the core values of the world change around us as I speak. Not in centuries, not in decades, sometimes in months and days. We see our country more racially divided today than ever before. I watched the series on the Vietnam War on public broadcasting television by Ken Burns. And I was a teenager in in the late 60s and early 70s. And I look back at that time and say, Judy, I don't know how we survived. I don't know how we survived that. Well, brothers and sisters, if the church doesn't rise up, I'm just not sure how we're going to survive. In fact, we can't survive without Jesus Christ. We can't. So we need William Wallace's today who will step up and say i see the world the way it is but i refuse to let it stay that way because that's why god sent jesus he saw us as we were lost and condemned and said he loved us too much to let us stay that way so he sent jesus christ to be born in a manger and die on a roman cross so the world could have redemption he loved us and loved us enough not to leave us that way and would to god that we become so passionate That we cannot lead the world the way it is. That we'll give them a sacrifice. I'm not chasing a rabbit. And I'm not prattling because I'm not prepared. I'm telling you, we need to get behind Operation Christmas Child. We need to get behind Operation Christmas Child. There is not a better tool right now reaching people around this world for Jesus Christ. Every every box goes out with the gospel in it. It's sent to a local church in those areas. And if there's not a local church, one is often started. And if a child prays to receive Jesus Christ, they are discipled in Christ. It's not pray a prayer and hope you make it. They're discipled. And it's not uncommon for nine to ten people to be reached through that single shoe box. Brothers and sisters, when we take the time to go to the dollar store or Walmart or wherever you do your shopping and you fill up that box, you spend about $25 the time you do the gift and the shipping. It's not a cheap project anymore. But when you spend that $25, you're spending $25 to reach the gospel, reach 10 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to get behind Operation Christmas Child. You may need to skip a taco or a Whopper, but you need to get behind Operation Christmas Child. Why? Because God loves the world too much to leave it the way it was, and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die that we could have forgiveness of sins. We've got to overcome the fear that pervades our world, and we do that by having a brave heart. Now, I want to tell you about two guys today. One was a guy named Timothy. Now, this is not a Debbie Downer on Timothy, but you need to know about him because, frankly, I see a lot in his life. You know, being a pastor is something... I told somebody yesterday at Walmart, a Friday night at Walmart, I said, being a pastor is one of the greatest things in the world. But sometimes it can be difficult. I remember the time I was out on visitation and I knocked on the door of a lady whose mom went to my church. And so... I knocked on the door, and it didn't go well. (laughs) I remember her saying something like this, You're nothing but a Hitler. All you do is brainwash those people down there. I wasn't feeling very much like a Braveheart at that moment. (laughs) I kind of tucked my tail between my legs and went home and told Judy about it. I'm sure you must have made an apple pie or something. And then another time, there was another guy, and it's so funny, because he was a guy that would cut his arm off for me, but at the same time, thought for sure he had the spiritual gift of criticism. And it was not uncommon for about every Saturday morning, about nine o'clock, this little tan colored ranger would pull my driveway, and Judy would say, Dwayne, not his real name, John, is here. And he would come in and we would spend about 30 minutes and he would tell me why I was such a bad pastor. I remember one time he said, you're nothing but a clown. You're nothing but a clown. Every time you go in that pulpit, you're just a clown. So I tucked my tail between my legs and went and told Judy and she probably made me an apple pie. I just tell you that. I just tell you that to know that I identify with Timothy. Cause Timothy was a timid person. Um, Timothy, in fact, you know, Steve, you can identify with this. Steve's been having some stomach issues. And, and Timothy had stomach issues. And I promise you, it was related to his job. Uh, he was a young believer and he was, he was, you know, proselyted by, by Paul and mentored by Paul. And Paul left him at Ephesus and said, you're a preacher. You're a pastor. And sometimes pastoring is like, herding cats. It can be difficult. Well, he had stomach issues from it. And when, and when Timothy looked in the mirror, he didn't see a brave man of God. He saw something else. And so <laughs> Paul felt like he needed to encourage him. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that's exactly what he did. And if you're here today and and you are a fearful person, may I just encourage you? Because Paul said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, I I want you to know something. I am reminded of your sincere faith. I am reminded of your sincere faith. And I want to encourage you, just like like Paul did, you know, Timothy didn't see himself as a man of sincere faith. He probably didn't see himself as a man of faith at all. But Paul said, Timothy, when I look at you, I see a man of faith. And you need to hear that today. You need to hear that God sees you as a man or a woman of faith. And could I encourage us to be encouragers? If you know someone who is struggling in their Christian walk, would you please be an encourager and let them know that when you see them, you see them as a child of God, you see them as a man or woman of faith. Remember that, Timothy? I believe in you. You're a man of faith. But he also said this, and it's a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. What a wonderful legacy, Timothy. Your your grandmother Lois was such a wonderful person and your, your mother Eunice was such a wonderful person. And when I see them, I see you. Be encouraged, Timothy. I see a man of faith, and then he says this. He says in verse six, "For this reason, I remind you to flame, f- fan and to flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of hands." Timothy, I know you need encouragement, and I was there today. The you surrendered. I was there when you yielded yourself. And Timothy, just fan the flame. You know, you know. They say with fire, you got to have an, ex- an, an ignition source, and you've got to have a fuel, and you got to have oxygen. And what, what, what Paul is saying is, Timothy, when I look at you, I know there's an ignition source and I know there is a, there is a flame. Fan that. You remember in Acts chapter two when the Holy Spirit came down? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, like a mighty rushing wind, came in and filled the place and filled them. Oh, Holy Spirit, fan our flames for today. Fan our flames today. Fan our flames whether it's Central Asia. Fan our flames in Africa, in Nicaragua, in Haiti, in Harrisburg, in Dorsville. Fan our flames, O oh Lord. Because Timothy, there's something you need to remember. That God has not given us a spirit of fear. I say this whenever I get an opportunity to preach this scripture. Satan wants you afraid. If you're a parent, he wants you to be afraid afraid that you're going to fail as a parent. If you're a teacher of a Sunday school class or you've been asked to be a teacher and you've never had the courage to say yes, that's where Satan wants you. He wants you to be afraid that you will fail. Because again, fear paralyzes. But Paul said, Timothy... That spirit is not from God. And where is it from? Satan. Satan. Someone said fear is false evidence appearing real. I don't like acronyms, cutesy acronyms, but that one's good. Because as Satan can convince us that there's false evidence and make it seem real, we are paralyzed. We're paralyzed as Christians, as believers, as husbands and wives and parents and students and children. We're paralyzed as a church. But God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, a love, and a sound mind. Timothy, you need to remember that. You may not believe in yourself right now, Timothy, but God believes in you and so do I. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you loud and clear that you may not believe in yourself, but God believes in you. Wow. So how does that play out? How does that play out? Well, the second guy I want to introduce you to is the guy, Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah lived a long time before Timothy ever did. But his story goes something like this. The nation of Israel had been hauled off into captivity in Babylon, and so so Nehemiah was there, and he had the unique job of being the cupbearer for the king. Now, let me tell you, that sounds pretty cool, but it doesn't mean that he just carried cups for the king. You know, being a king could be a, a dangerous job. People like to assassinate kings. And one of the way they did it was they served them poison wine. And so Nehemiah's job was to taste the wine before the king did. And if someone was going to die, it was going to be the cupbearer and not the king. So that's a certain amount of boldness right there. And so that was Nehemiah's job. He would taste the wine and make sure the king didn't die. Well, one day somebody came by, and an old friend, and you know, he asked the old friend, he said, so how is Jerusalem doing? How are things back in the homeland? And the guy said, oh, it's bad. The walls are torn down, the temple's gone, the people are confused, they're scattered. All that was left there was a riffraff anyway. Things were really bad. And it really burdened the heart of Nehemiah, so much so it affected his countenance. And one day the king said to Nehemiah, what's going on? You're not your normal, jovial self. Nehemiah said, my homeland. The walls are torn down and the temple's torn down, the city's torn down, and the people are discouraged. So later on he goes back to the king and says, hey, would you be willing to let me go I mean, this is like dangerous business. You don't ask kings this kind of stuff. Would you be willing to let me go back to be? And you know what the king said? Yeah. And he gave him a letter of authority. He gave him resources to do what he needed to do. And he sent him back. Isn't it great that Nehemiah had the courage to do that? But even when you're courageous, there's no guarantee things are going to go well. Because certain people don't like courageous people. And that's what we had to set up for in Nehemiah 4 and verse number 1. The Bible says there, Now when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was angry and, and greatly enraged. When Nehemiah got there and started doing the work of rebuilding the walls, it wasn't long before he ran to opposition. opposition. And let me just tell you, when you stand for God, you will run into opposition. When a church stands for God, it will face opposition. Why were they so mad? Well, let me tell you. Sam Ballot had a gig going. Life was pretty good for him because he was reaping the benefits of this destruction that had happened. Loaning money to people, charging exorbitant interest rates, all these different things. He had it good. And when Nehemiah came and offered to help rebuild the walls, he saw his gig over. You ever wonder why the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus? I bet you thought it was because they were zealots and loved God. Paul was. Paul truly loved God and thought he was doing God a favor by trying to kill Christians. But not the Pharisees. It was all about the money, baby. It was all about the money. They were raking in the temple tax. Life was good. And when Jesus came and rocked the Apple card and apples started falling off, they said he's got to go. Well, you wanna know why people don't like God? Have you ever wondered why don't people like God in today in America? Why don't people like God in society? There's a deal. We're a do your own thing people. And if there's a God, their logic says, if there's a God, then that probably means we ought to obey him and submit to him. So, what we'll do is we'll simply deny the existence of God, therefore, freeing us to do what we want to do. That's how it plays out. You one of why people who resist the gospel? That's one of the reasons why. Well, Samba was one of those people, and when he heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. Bullying 101. Bullying 101. The greatest weapon of the world today is when they can intimidate Christians into submitting and yielding to them. Here's what it sounded like when when Sanballat did it. He said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble, these weak Jews doing? Will they restore the wall for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Are they so miraculous they're going to do it in one day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Not only do they have to dig stones out of the rubble pile, but they've been burned so they're weakened. Will they do that? And their bud, Tobiah the Ammonite, in verse 3, was beside him and said, Yes. What they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down. He will break down their stone wall. Is that encouraging? Yeah, it's not, is it? So don't, just know this, there's going to be opposition. When we choose to do what God calls us to do, there will be opposition. Just prepare yourself for that. But the question is, what do we do with it? What do we do when Satan attacks our family? What do we do when Satan attacks the church? What do we do when all of a sudden it's less and less popular to be a believer in Jesus Christ? What do we do when the enemy attacks? Well, the Bible says later on in verse number uh, 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. What did Nehemiah do? Do you see it there? Who's he talking to? God. When when Sambalot does all this bullying, pushing around, undermining, undercutting, Nehemiah doesn't get into a debate with him. Nehemiah doesn't sit there and have a shouty match with Sam Bollett, like we're tempted to do in today's culture. You know what he does? Talks to God. Why don't we believe in prayer? Why do we feel like we have to because God won't? Is his record that bad? Nehemiah understood that the answer was to talk to God about the issue and not to take action. How about that? Here's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. You know, Judy's not real possessive of her kitchen. But that's okay because I don't cook. But I can only imagine if she was in there cooking one day and I decided to get my hands in her pot. One, it would be deadly. And two, it wouldn't taste very good. Paul is saying that vengeance, revenge, is God's business, not ours. And God would say to us today, if we want him to act, keep our hands out of his business. Let let God be God. Have a brave heart and let God be God. Well, what are we supposed to do? Oh, well, that's easy. Verse 20. But if you're hungry, enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. That's what you do. You refuse to be drawn, sucked into their meaningless debates. And you turn it over to God and you love them. that was almost worth an Amen. You turn it over to God and you love them. Well, in another world, that would be the end of the story. God took action immediately. Sam Bolly gets a a fatal case of of the flu and he dies and so does Tobiah and everybody lived happily ever after. Uh, didn't happen that way, did it? Nope, because the Bible says in chapter 6, verse 4, so we built the wall. We continued working. And all the wall was joined together to have its height, for the people had a mind to work. Yay! But when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites, it's getting a bigger list, and the Ashtonites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. See, the first time they were angry, and when when Nehemiah turned it over to God and kept right on building the wall, they got really angry. And what was the result of that? They all, verse 8, they all plied together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And what? We prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. When they declared war, because their words went from words to war, when they declared war, what they do? They prayed. Why don't we believe in prayer? Have I said that already? Why don't we believe in prayer? Why don't we trust God with situations and pray? But you know what I wrote down just to really confuse you? I wrote this down. You might be the answer to your own prayer. There are times when God's answer is you. Because you do notice it says we prayed to our God and we set a guard. We asked God to act and then we did what was appropriate. That's good advice. I mean, if you don't want to die of cancer, quit smoking. We do what's appropriate, but we trust God. Well... So now it's going to get better, right? No. Because the seed of discontent was planted. I wrote down this. I wrote down, Beware of mainstream media. No, this is not an attack on CBS, NBC, and ABC, although that would be easy to do. But notice what happens when you try to do the right thing. Look what happens. In Judah... It was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. This project is doomed. There's too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. As the seeds were sown by the enemy, they come and say, you know, we can't do this. There's just too much rubble around. We can't rebuild the wall. The enemies then in verse 11, and our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. CBS said, there's too much rubble. The work can't continue. NBC said, we're going to sneak up on and kill them anyway. And ABC said, at that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to them to us ten times, You must return to us. All the Jews that were not involved in the work went to the ones who were working and said, You need to get out of here. You need to get out of Dodge while you can because you're going to die. Isn't it amazing how that churches that do nothing are critical of those that do? Isn't that amazing? I love it when I occasionally get on the internet and I see how Christians attack Christians. I love it when they attack Andy Stanley. Second, third, fourth largest church, and I know the man preaches the gospel. Oh, but let him slip one time in his mouth and they are all over him like white on rice. It's amazing to me. Just what the enemy likes. So the, so the, the Jews, the ones in Judah says, the ones the enemy says, and the Jews locally say, it isn't gone... To happen. Verse 13. So, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Nehemiah looked at the place most likely, this is probably pretty good, Nehemiah looked at the spot most likely when the enemy would attack in the lower parts of the wall and he put people there With their swords. There's something I call the 12-1 principle. The 12-1 principle. It's from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. Therefore, since we also have such a great, large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Get ready for battle. Look in your life today... Look in your life today where there are low spots in the wall, where you know and I know that the enemy will most likely attack you and fill that gap with the armor of God. With the armor of God. He put people there with swords and bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. William Wallace. Three things. One, remember faith and not fear. Faith and fear cannot coexist. Fear is the absence of faith. And we are a people of, we walk by and not by, Sight. Remember faith and not fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Second. Remember it is God and not us. It is God and not us. I think that's what God was trying to teach me today. I wish He'd have found an easier way. As I was listening, to some of the words to the songs we sang, I really can't, I can't make it so clear to you how this was difficult today. Because I just, it's it's not where I like to be, way outside my comfort zone. It's like God was saying, "Dwayne, it's me anyway." You think it's your incredible preparation? You think it's your unique speaking ability? You think it's your suave, good looks? No, Dwayne. It's me. And my dear friends, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what you're facing, no matter where you are in your station of life, it is God, not you. It is God, not you. And then remember this. Remember what you fight for. There were so many thoughts going through my head. I thought about these young parents today. If you're here today and you've got kids in the age of preschool and and, uh, middle school and and high school, particularly those groups, let me tell you why. Daddy, let me tell you why you need to be a brave man today. In In a world that will condemn you for being a Christian, here's why you've got to be brave. Yes, you're doing it for God, but you're doing it for your kids. Remember who you're fighting for. You're fighting for your brothers and your daughters and your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. If there's any hope for the future, and there is, it's Christ Jesus. And just like Timothy had a legacy... Timothy had a legacy. Timothy had a legacy. There was a Lois and there was a Eunice who lived their stories out before this young preacher boy and laid the groundwork for one day for Paul to come along and say, God loves you, him surrendering and becoming a pastor. Mama and daddy, you've got to leave that kind of legacy. Your kids have got to see your faith so your faith can become their faith. Faith is contagious. Faith is contagious and so is fear. And so is fear. Remember why you do what we do. Remember why we do what we do. It took a while. And boy, under a lot of criticism, I'm not sure how history has judged Franklin Roosevelt. But the bottom line is, eventually the country came out of the Great Depression, fought the greatest world war there ever was, and we came out victorious. They called that generation the greatest generation. Not taken away from the Vietnam vets and the Korean vets and our generation, the the boomers and the rest. But the truth is, they were brave hearts. They endured difficulty at home they endure difficulty overseas may we be those kind of people spiritually spiritually may we lay the groundwork for our children fighting for them let's pray together again, not a Debbie Downer on Timothy, but if you're here today and you would identify with Timothy, you don't believe what you see in the mirror, let today be the day you do. Let today be the day that you do. If you find yourself as a Nehemiah, already that bold believer, Stay focused on the task at hand and change your world for the sake of your sons and your daughters, your wives, and your home in this world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. And how can they believe if they've never heard? And how can they hear unless we go? And how can they go unless we sin now. God, thank you for this opportunity, Father, even the way it played out. I want to pray, God, that Holy Spirit, it's all about you anyway, that you'll take what's been spoken today and speak to the hearts of people. Father, for the young Timothys in this room today, Father, help us to remember our legacy. Help us to remember Father, that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. Father, I pray for the Nehemiahs here today, that they may stay strong, and they may be an example and a mentor to encourage those who might be weak. And Father, there is someone here today outside the family that is have never trusted Christ as Savior. May today be that day for them. Have your way, Father. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name.